This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Tomas Gimeno planned and secretly plotted the worst and most spiteful revenge possible against his wife. He set sail with his two daughters, who were only one and six years old, on April 27th of this year. The next day, his boat was found adrift with no one aboard. He was up to no good. His actions that night were despicable, and authorities are still searching for him by land, sea, and air. Hello, my twisted friends. Welcome aboard. This is Twisted Travel and True Crime. I'm your host, Sandy. Heads up to new listeners. It's never quiet on our boat, which is where I live and record this podcast. You will likely hear various boat and water noises in the background. It can't be helped. Returning listeners, I love you all, and thanks for coming back for more. Tomas Gimeno was born on the island of Tenerife into a wealthy and fairly well-known family. Tenerife is the largest of Spain's Canary Islands off of West Africa. It's known for Mount Teda, a dormant volcano that is its tallest peak. The island is covered with beaches and resort areas. And if you like vodka, a small distillery in the Canary Islands makes Blatt Vodka. They claim to be the only vodka that is 100% free of impurities. U.S. government-improved laboratories have analyzed and certified it as the purest vodka available in the world. You might want to sip some of your own favorite drink while you listen to today's case. It's a rough one and has to do with children, so if that's a trigger for you, pour a double or stop this episode and wait for next week's. Tomas and his family own many farmlands, including banana plantations across the island and a golf course on the southern end of Tenerife. He is 37 years old and was in charge of several companies that belonged to his wealthy family. He had a reputation as a bad boy throughout the island and was said to have had exaggerated taste for the nightlife, drinking, and drugs. He was involved in several fights in bars and clubs covering the island of Tenerife, and there are a lot of them. When Tomas was a teenager, he was accused of several robberies, even though he came from an affluent family and was in good, strong economic position himself. He was also involved in an insurance scam trying to collect false claims for vehicles and boats. A little less minor is the fact that he has several unpaid traffic fines, as he liked to drive very fast. His father used to race, and Thomas has been caught driving at 250 to 300 kilometers per hour, which is just under 190 miles an hour. He seemed to enjoy scaring his passengers. His parents are very private people, and they've avoided contact with the media in the last couple of months. His ex-wife Beatrice, who is the mother of his children, has been much more vocal. She consistently accused Thomas of being violent towards her. Not only that, but she claims many cases of infidelity during their marriage. Needless to say, they recently, within the last two years, went their separate ways, and she began dating someone new. Although they broke up at the beginning of the pandemic, it seemed like Thomas wanted to renew their relationship. 
Many of his friends, family, and work colleagues described him as energetic, impulsive, hardworking, and a bit of a hippie. He loved to play paddle tennis. He loved to sail and wanted to be a rally driver, but what he loved most was being with his kids. It was obvious to many people who are close to Tomas that he couldn't handle splitting from Beatrice and was very angry and jealous that she was dating someone else so quickly. Her new partner was a 60-year-old Belgian businessman. Beatrice claims that Tomas beat up her new partner in a car park at the end of the year in 2020, but she never reported anything officially to the authorities. The fact that Beatrice and her new lover were getting close may be the reason that Tomas did what he did on April 27th of this year. Earlier in the day, Tomas stopped at the marina where he kept his small sailboat. He told marina operatives that he wanted to check the motor, so he took it out for a short spin. After that, around 5 p.m., he went to the home of his former wife, Beatrice, who was 35 years old. He had recently reached an informal agreement with her on visitation rights with his children. He picked up his one-year-old daughter, Anna, and then collected his six-year-old daughter, Olivia, from an after-school German learning center. He happened to be dating a woman who worked at the learning center. This had been going on for at least the last three months. He dropped off a gift for this new girlfriend and asked her not to open it up until later that evening. He then took Anna to his parents' house so he could then collect Olivia and she could attend a tennis class. Afterwards, he took them both to his home. Later that evening, around 9 p.m., Beatrice showed up to take the girls home, but no one was there to open the door. She was likely furious and called Tomas to find out where they were. He told her that they had gone out to dinner and he would drive them home shortly. This turned out to be massively untrue. If we back up just a little bit, at about 7.30 p.m., Tomas was seen on camera returning to the local marina, but the cameras at the marina and the security guard didn't see the children with him. However, they did see him loading suitcases and bags onto his boat. He made three trips from his parked Audi to his sailboat. He was then seen sailing out of the harbor, but he returned a few hours later. As he returned, the Civil Guard boat stopped him for violating the island's coronavirus curfew. They filed a report on him and fined him. He told the Civil Guards that he would go home to sleep, but then changed his mind and told them he would stay on the boat that night. After the Civil Guard left, the Marina staff said that Tomas came in asking for a charger for his phone, but they weren't able to find one for him. So he took his car and drove to a nearby shop. He bought a charger, returned to the marina, and charged his phone for about 15 minutes. He then left the marina once again. During the time he waited for his phone to charge, the marina staff said that he asked if they knew where the civil boat guard was headed. Tomas then hopped back into his boat, freed the dock lines, and set sail once again. It was just after midnight at this point. During the last several hours, Tomas had had five telephone conversations with Beatrice. She called him first at nine to ask where he had been since he wasn't home. She called a second time at 9.30 to see why he had not brought the children back. He told her at this time that she would never see the children again. He told her the same thing at 10.30 and again at 10.40. At about 11.45, the phone appeared to be turned off or had run out of batteries. 
There was one last conversation with Beatrice at about 1.30 in the morning. He discussed their relationship and reiterated that she would never see her daughters again. Neither he nor the girls have been seen alive since or have been heard from since. The next day, Beatrice told officers that Tomas' parents had said their son stopped by with the children on the day of their disappearance and that he used terminology that made it sound like he was saying goodbye. Some of his friends reported the same thing. They too had received phone calls and emails that sounded like Tomas was saying goodbye. His girlfriend, the teacher at the German school, said that she opened her gift before she was supposed to, and inside was a letter from Tomas saying goodbye and that he planned to leave with the children. He also left her several thousand dollars. She called him asking what was going on, and he wouldn't explain but made it clear that he was saying a final goodbye. On April 28th, the police began a search by land, sea, and air. That afternoon, Tomas' sailboat was found floating near a small town on the southeastern coast of Tenerife. The sailboat no longer had an anchor and no one was on board. The police found small traces of blood inside the boat. Outside the boat, in the water nearby, they found the one-year-old's car seat floating along. Something went seriously wrong here. It wasn't long after this that a bee on the lookout or a bolo alert was released. Authorities released pictures of Tomas and his girls, and they are asking everyone to keep their eyes out for his family, thinking that perhaps he has moved to another boat and has set sail for the Caribbean or South America, where he has some family ties. It was this bolo that drew me into the case. I will have photos from this bolo alert on Twisted Travel and True Crime's Facebook page and Instagram page if you'd like to see them. If you live near the Canary Islands, West Africa, the Caribbean, or South America, I would encourage you to take a look. The police don't skip a beat and began investigating a suspicious route taken by a sailboat with a British flag. The boat sailed from the island of Gran Canaria at about 8.25 on the 27th and arrived on the island of Cape Verde six days later. The reason why this boat was studied so seriously was that instead of sailing directly from one point to the next, the vessel headed toward Tenerife and wandered aimlessly along the coast near Santa Cruz to finally be detected off of Calendario on the late evening and early morning hours of Wednesday, April 28th, and just happened to be near where Thomas's boat was found floating later that same day. Clearly, this was of interest to the police. Something else that flagged the interest of the police was that the crew on the boat turned off the automatic identification system or AIS, as it's better known in sailing circles. This makes the vessel unidentifiable. The shutdown occurred both on Tuesday evening and several times along the route when the boat detected the proximity of another boat. The boat would purposely deviate from its route as if it didn't want to meet anyone during its journey. Even more suspiciously, before they made landfall in the marina of Mindelo City, Cape Verde, the vessel disconnected its AIS once again. If police followed up on the lead, I don't have the results as to whether it's related to the disappearance of Tomas and the girls or not. That being said, the boat arrived in Cape Verde, and since then three boats have sailed away, making for destinations further south, but they are being watched closely. As these leads were being followed, 
On April 30th, they identified the blood inside the sailboat as belonging to Tomas. Everyone on the island was fearing the worst and praying that the girls were safe and that a false trail was being laid for police. All hopes were centered on finding the children alive and getting them back to their mother. On May 1st, the police searched Thomas' home and financial records. They were considering a range of possibilities, and no theories had been discounted at this point. They found that Tomas apparently withdrew about $70,000 from the bank before disappearing, and he took with him a fair amount of clothing. They found the remnants of pain medication and muscle relaxer blister packs in his home. He had been given these medications due to a car accident he had been in a few weeks earlier. On May 4th, it had been a week since Tomas and the girls had disappeared. The girl's mother, Beatrice, issued a video and asked for it to be shared as widely as possible in an attempt to find her daughters. She announced in the video that Tomas might be heading to South America where he had contacts. Police publicly confirmed that the blood was Tomas's, not the girl's, and they said they believed that he had assistance in carrying out what they described as a prearranged plan. At this point, hopes were that the girls were alive and safe and in some sort of comfort. Meanwhile, the police tried to keep an open mind as they worked hard to clarify the facts of the case. Police narrowed down the search to a small area near where they found the sailboat. They brought in an oceanographic research vessel which can scan the seafloor. When they find something interesting, they have an unmanned robotic submarine with bright lights and cameras that they can send down to have a closer look. Forty days go by after the disappearance of Tomas and his beautiful daughters. This event is keeping Spanish society in suspense, but is also transcended into an international audience. The ship was on its eighth day of tracking, and it's focused on an area of about 10 square miles off the coast of Santa Cruz. This was the area between where Tomas' last phone call was triangulated and where the drifting ship was located. Friends of Beatrice and Tomas are all praying that he and the girls are found. On June 11th, the oceanographic research vessel sent the robotic submarine down to an irregularity found in deep water at about 3,200 feet or 1,000 meters below the surface. There they found two bags tied to an anchor. Inside one of the bags was Olivia's body. Next to it was a second bag. It was slightly smaller, but this bag was open and Anna's body was not inside it. This made everyone reevaluate everything they believed or hoped up until this point. Police now believe that Tomas killed the girls in his home, wrapped their bodies in towels and blankets, stuffed them into bags, and carried them with him and his sailboat on the night of April 27th. They then believe he sailed them out to a deep area where he thought they would never be found and dropped them into the water. They believe that he most likely murdered his daughters in a planned and premeditated fashion, leaving behind his pet dog, a bank card with his pin numbers, and car keys for his brand new Alfa Romeo at his parents' house. They believe he sailed three miles offshore and then threw his daughters' bodies into the water at about 10.30 p.m., right after he'd weighed them down with the boat's anchor. He did this all out of spite and anger towards his ex-wife, who he had been dating since he was in high school. Beatrice made a statement saying that this was the most monstrous act a person can commit, killing their own innocent children. She said, 
When the police told me, the world came crashing down on me, and as hard as it is, at least now I can mourn their loss. She then goes on to say, It hurts my soul that I can't have saved their lives. I wish I had been there at that moment, holding their hands so we could die together. But that couldn't be because Tomas wanted me to suffer, searching endlessly for them all my life. Currently, police believe that Tomas committed suicide after killing the girls, but they're not closing their minds completely to the possibility that he may have escaped with help. The search continued on June 16th with the oceanographic vessel and his body has not been found, nor has the body of his one-year-old daughter Olivia. They have found two small oxygen containers on the ocean floor. Some people thought perhaps he swam down as far as he could, then died from carbon monoxide poisoning, which is sometimes called the sweet death as divers typically fall unconscious after breathing tainted oxygen tanks. But this has been ruled out as these small cylinders were filled with a clean nitrogen and oxygen mix. Others believe he breathed the tanks on the deck of the boat until he was almost unconscious. Then he jumped into the ocean with a weight belt around his waist, sinking until he knew he wouldn't be able to swim back up to the surface. His body has not been found, so we don't know if this is the case or not. Reality has begun to prevail, and the search area is enormous. There are obvious doubts about the possibility that Thomas ended his life. The police continue to hold strong that he committed suicide, but at the same time there's no proof. They found no trace of him, and on a nautical level there are inconsistencies. His movement with the sailboat before disappearing and his attitude after killing and dumping the lifeless bodies of his two beautiful daughters does not fit the profile of a suicidal person. Something stinks. Yes, he could have committed suicide, but there's a possibility he didn't, and if he hasn't committed suicide, he needs to be found. An expert sailor and one of the highest authorities on the subject in Spain says that Tomas is seen carrying six packages to the boat. Two, unfortunately, have been known to be the girls. Another package is the car seat, which was found in the sea. Another was accounted for, but there were two left. Could one of them have been a wetsuit and weights? A diving belt is one of the objects that has been sought after since the sailboat was found. This expert says it's a possibility that Tomas may have arrived outside the little town further down the coast, put on a wetsuit and diving gear, and swam to shore. The boat was only a mile from town. Tomas was strong and healthy. Another possibility is that someone could have motored out from shore. The boat wouldn't have had to have any type of identifier. GPS signals can be turned off, or it could be something as simple as a rowboat or a boat with an outboard motor. The nautical experts say that according to reports, Tomas goes out in the afternoon to test the boat and motor. He comes back to the dock, leaves to pick up the girls, and returns to the boat later with his packages. He then leaves to go sailing for a second time. It's believed that that is when he throws the girls into the sea and then returns to the marina. He asks to borrow the mobile phone charger, buys tobacco, and then goes back out to sea for a third time. The last message that he sent on his phone was at 2.28 in the morning and its location was noted. The second fact is that the boat was found the next day at 5.37 p.m. Some people believe that the ship could have drifted there, but the nautical expert disagrees. 
He didn't think that the currents were strong enough to carry the boat to where it was located. He also questions, at what point did the baby's car seat end up in the sea, and how did it end up so close to the boat if they drifted separately all night long? They wouldn't have traveled at the same speed. It seems unlikely that the boat drifted. It seems more likely that it was purposefully sailed in that direction. Yes, he could have stood at the helm for a while, pondering the horrible decisions he made and the horrific actions he took before he killed himself. But is that likely? A forensic psychologist doesn't think so. She says Tamas' psychological profile doesn't fit a suicide. His planning, coldness, and behavior during this time throws up clues. He killed his daughters, wrapped them in towels and blankets, stuffed them in duffel bags, but before throwing them into the water, he stopped to put his dog away safely. He then carried the girls' lifeless bodies to the car and transferred them to his boat. They were dead for several hours before he dumped their bodies. During that time, he seemed calm. In fact, he was downright cold. A forensic psychologist who has spent time up and close and personal with people who have committed filicide or the murder of their own children says, Tomas does not seem to fit the profile of suicide. She says, in him, we find very marked narcissistic traits, some psychopathic personality traits. Not a psychopathic personality disorder, but there are some traits he carries of histrionic personality and narcissistic personality. In my personal opinion, it seems nothing makes a narcissist throw a tantrum like losing the mind of another person. He was losing the mind of Beatrice and was losing his hold on her. She was moving on with her life and was finding happiness with someone else, and he decided to do the most hurtful thing he could to get her back. The forensic psychologist said that Tomas likely has no empathy or compassion. He only cares about himself, and these traits do not usually lead to suicidal behavior. If you don't have empathy, you don't have emotional pain. She said, a narcissist doesn't typically have feelings that lead to suicide. What's more, another of the traits is that a true narcissist only puts importance on themselves, and there is nothing so important that they need to kill themselves. If there is something that stands out about Tomas, in addition to his bad boy character, it's that he is tremendously intelligent. The forensic psychologist says we can be sure he could make us believe he has committed suicide in order to make sure he's not prosecuted. The amount of money he took out was significant, and perhaps the money was taken in order to pay someone to help him escape or to build a life elsewhere. Another note of interest to the forensic psychiatrist is that after disposing of the girl's bodies, he returns to port, and his only goal was to talk to the mother. He charged his phone and then wanted to tell her one more time that she will never see her daughters again. His interactions with the staff at the dock are perfectly calm, even after killing his daughters, and even after the civil guard stops him for missing the COVID curfew. That kind of calm seems incompatible with suicidal behavior. Suicidal behavior usually brings despair, and it's not logical. What typically happens if someone decides to take a life and then take their own life is that the killer kills someone else and then immediately kills themselves. Tomas was calm at all times. He even took the time to say goodbye to his surroundings and his family. And again, his last connection via phone was hours after murdering his daughters. If Tomas escaped by sailing, 
he may have sailed to the Caribbean, which would be an ideal refuge. In the Caribbean, there are several countries that do not have an extradition agreement with Spain and that consequently represent an ideal place for someone who is under a search and capture order by authorities, as is the case with Tomas. If he made his way toward a South American continent, he could be on or near several islands. Some of those include Antigua and Barbuda, the Bahamas, the Barbados, Dominica, Grenada, Haiti, St. Kitts, Nevis, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, as well as St. Lucia, Trinidad, Tobago, and more. This case has shaken Spain and surrounding communities. There's been a number of protests against gender-based violence. A protest of about a thousand people in Tenerife, mostly women and children, they came to stand for the girls. One young girl was holding a sign that said, Stop killing us. Since 2013, 39 minors have been killed in Spain by either their father or a partner or former partner of their mother. The government says so far this year, 19 women have been killed because of gender-based violence in Spain. Men are sometimes victims of gender violence too. If you know someone who is dealing with domestic violence or gender violence, please ask for help. I put a link in the episode description with several sources that may be helpful. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'd love for you to take a minute to rate and review it, or maybe share the episode with a friend. You can also contribute to the podcast financially if you would like. There are links in the show description to safely do so. Thanks once again, and to you, I wish for only fair winds and following seas.